be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Iker. At this time, we're going to go ahead with our offering. So invite the ushers to come forward. And if you're visiting with us, we don't expect for you to give at all during this offering. This is an opportunity for those who are members to give back just a little of what God has given to us as he has called us to steward all that we have, all that we possess for his glory and his good. So let's pray for this offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just how gracious you are. Father, your word in Ephesians says that you have lavished your grace upon us. And so in response to that, we want to be faithful. We want to steward what you have given us uh, for your good, for, for the good of, of you. We are just managers of your money. And so, Father, I pray for this offering that you would use it and multiply it, uh, that your kingdom may be advanced. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Well, while the offering is going around, I want to read uh, a bit of today's passage for you. This is Luke chapter 12, beginning of verse 22. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon... In all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. All right, well, this time I'm going to dismiss our children to Children's Church. So any child that's up through second grade, feel free to to go there. There's a special lesson and activities planned for you. And for the rest of us, we're continuing through the book of Luke. Today we find ourselves in chapter 12. And I want you to think about what you were probably already thinking about. All right, I want you to think about what you were probably already thinking about. What is it that captivates your thinking, captivates your mind, and tends to cause you to worry? When you come here on Sundays, I I hope that you don't have the mentality that I need to leave all my problems. I need to leave all my messiness at home. I hope that you know that you can come here, bring your messiness with you, and God will have a word for you that applies to that messiness. So today I want you to be thinking about what is it that you tend to think about again and again and again. Sometimes you think about it constantly. 
It gnaws at you and, and it causes you to worry. In the scripture passage that I just read, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, do not worry. Don't worry. Well, that's easier said than done, right? We have a lot to worry about. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave it at that. He gives us specific reasons why we don't have to worry. So let's get started. And I want to set the scene for you so that we understand uh, what Jesus is saying. We understand the context here. In the Gospel of Luke, we get a snapshot of a guy who is all consumed with this one problem going on in his life. There's this one issue that has just got him fixated. And what it is, is is that his brother is not sharing their inheritance. Okay, evidently, his father, mother passed away, left the sons with the inheritance, and, and, and the one brother had control over it. And so he wasn't giving it any to his other brother. And so this man is, is stressed out. It's all we can think about is, my brother is not being fair. My brother is not giving me what's mine. To help you understand just how consumed he is by this, just how wrapped up in this one issue he is, if you were here last week, you remember that in Luke chapter 11 that we covered, Jesus is, is, having, having, is having this encounter with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And at the end of chapter 11, the hostility against Jesus has increased. It has intensified. Okay, things are getting heated. The religious elite are, are looking to set traps for Jesus. They're provoking him. And so Jesus begins in chapter 12 by giving his disciples instruction in light of this increased hostility. The disciples are probably a little bit scared, a little bit unsure. What's going to happen to Jesus? What's going to happen to them? And Jesus tells them, he says, don't fear those men. Don't fear those guys. The worst they can do to you is kill you. It's like, wow, that's really comforting, Jesus. He says, no, 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 don't don't fear them who can kill your body. Fear God, who after you're dead, has the authority to cast you into an eternity in hell. That's serious stuff. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the mission that's ahead of them, for the road that's before them. He's being real. He's not sugarcoating anything. But he also doesn't leave them despairing. He, he reminds them that you are of great value to God. You matter to God. God cares about you. God is for you, and God is making a way so that you can spend an eternity with him. And he's also going to send you his own spirit to lead you and guide you as you journey through this life and face the hard road ahead of you. All right, so are are you with me? Jesus is telling his disciples critical stuff. He's preparing them for the battle ahead. So if you're there, if, you're, if I'm there, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm listening to every word that Jesus has to say because it is a matter of life and death. He is telling us serious stuff. 
the time is intense. But then you have this one guy. This one guy who's so consumed with this problem of his brother not giving him his inheritance that he interrupts Jesus. In the middle of Jesus giving such clear and and strong and, and serious instruction, he interrupts Jesus and says, Jesus, my brother's not being fair. Jesus, will you tell my brother to give me some money? That's how fixated he had become on this one problem. It's the only thing that he can think about. His worry has consumed him. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had just one thing that just so consumed your mind? You had trouble falling asleep at night because you were thinking about it? As soon as you wake up in the morning, it's there. You're thinking about it. It's consuming you. It's got you worried. Maybe it's your company's laying off more employees. Is my job safe? How am I going to provide? Maybe it's worry over your children. Will my child ever find a true friend? Is my kid ever going to straighten out? What is it that consumes your mind? All right, well, let's pause and let's, let's imagine how we would think Jesus would respond to this guy. Right, so here's this guy. He's consumed with this worry. He's like, Jesus, help, help, Jesus. How do you think Jesus would respond? Or, or how do you think you would respond or should respond? You know, most of us would think that compassion obligates us to help him. Right? Obligates us to, to say, oh, man, that's, that's really bad. How, how is your brother able to do that? Have you, have you talked to a lawyer? Hey, man, let, let me pray for you. Well, look how Jesus responds to the man. I'm in Luke chapter 12, verse 14. He says, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Jesus like, I'm not going to deal with your argument between you and your brother. I'm not going to settle this dispute over your inheritance for you. That's not my role. Jesus is like, I'm here to do bigger things. I got something more important that I'm trying to accomplish. So rather than catering to this guy's desire and settling this dispute for him, Jesus is going to help him by helping him understand the bigger picture. Helping him understand that there's something that matters more. See, our worries tend to narrow our focus. Okay? Our worries tend to narrow our focus so that that's all that we can think about. Whatever it is that we're worrying about, we're fixated on it. We're focused on it. We're consumed by it. And this guy had become so consumed with whether or not his brother was going to give him part of the inheritance that he had forgotten Jesus' greater mission. This guy's in a disagreement. He's having an argument with his brother. He cries out to Jesus, Jesus, help me. Jesus, fix this. And Jesus' response is, you're missing the picture. You've forgotten my purpose. 
as I was thinking about this, my heart was just thinking, was drawn towards First Baptist Eichard. Right? Let's be real for a minute. Like, first of all, I want to say think, things are good here, right? I'm so excited to, to be here, to be among you guys. But there are some disagreements going on between brothers. That there's some conflict within this family. The wheels aren't falling apart, and it's not, you know, we're not in crisis mode, but, but, but there is some conflict going on. And, and, I, and I believe that's because we've become maybe a little too focused on what's going on among us, and we've forgotten about what's going on around us. We've come a little too focused on what's Sunday going to look like? What, what songs are we going to sing? Where are we going to meet? Who's going to be on this leadership team? Who's going to be on this committee? And we've forgotten about the bigger picture. See, there's a world of people out there who don't need to worry about what songs are going to be sung on Sunday. What they need to worry about is where they will spend their eternity. And it's our job to orient them to the bigger picture. So what do they see the church worried about? What do they see us focusing on? You see, there's, there's a lot of thinking right now about what's the next chapter in the life of First Baptist Iker going to look like? What's the road ahead going to look like? And while there needs to be thinking and, and praying about what the road ahead looks like, don't forget what God has already entrusted us to do. Don't miss what God has already entrusted you, entrusted his church to do. And what is that? It's declare his glory. It's be the church that brings people from different backgrounds, from different walks of life together in unity. So that it displays God's wisdom to the world. How, how could God bring such different people together? It's the gospel. God gives us that in Ephesians 3.10. To be the display of God's wisdom through our unity. He didn't call us to be the, the cool church he doesn't call us to be the church that has the, the big events or the coolest activities. Right? I mean, I, I want to be cool, but sorry, as long as I'm here, you're probably not going to be the coolest church in town. That's, that's not what our focus needs to be. It's not our aim. Our aim should be the church that practices real humility, that considers others more important than yourselves. Philippians 2.3. 
Your call is to be the church that earnestly desires. Father, hallowed be your name. God, reveal yourself as glorious. Your kingdom come. Lord Jesus, rule over us. Luke 11, verse 2. Let's not become so focused on what's going on within that we forget the bigger picture of what's going on around. Where have your worries narrowed your focus so that you're missing the mission Jesus has called you to? As individuals and as a church, we need to be reminded of the bigger picture. So if you're not there yet, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And after Jesus deals with this guy who's stressed out about his inheritance, he, he quickly turns his attention back to the rest of the crowd, and he uses this interruption as a teachable moment to remind them of the bigger picture. Look at Luke 12, 15. And Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. All right, so Jesus pinpoints the man's problem. He's basically telling the others, don't be like this guy who just interrupted me. Here's where he went wrong, and he pinpoints. He points to a coveting heart. Right? His coveting heart was the source of his worry. His yearning, his longing for that inheritance money was what was causing him all of this consuming worry. Now, if you'd ask that man, why are you so worried? He probably would have responded, what do you mean, why am I so worried? Isn't it obvious? My brother's not being fair. My brother's not giving me what's rightfully mine. See, what we tend to do when we're worried is we look at the very thing that we're worried about and say, that's the source of my worry. My company is laying off people. That's why I'm worried. My child is misbehaving. That's why I'm worried. But Jesus shows us a deeper root to our worries. See, worry is rooted in our treasure. Okay? Worry is rooted in what we treasure. This man's biggest problem wasn't that he was not getting his inheritance. Okay? That, that may have been a problem. It may have been a serious case of injustice. But his biggest problem was that he so treasured that inheritance money that his whole world had fallen apart when it looked like he wasn't going to get the money. He was so fixated by what he desired that he was missing Jesus' greater purpose for his life. You see, greed, covetousness, treasure, those are all the same things. When they're placed in the wrong thing, will will blind you and will take you prisoner. It will consume your mind and it will rule your behavior. It will become all that you can see. It will become all that you think about. So Jesus warns us, be on your guard against all covetousness. 
Why? Because life is more than what you possess. You see, Jesus is saying, you don't need to fear those other people outside of you. What you need to be on guard against, what you need to be vigilant against, is what can harm you from within you. Those desires. Coveting will ruin your life. Well, know that Jesus says all covetousness. All covetousness. He's not only talking about every instance of covetousness, he's also talking about every form. See, we can covet in many ways. It's not just being greedy for more money. Maybe your desire is to have a beautiful figure. put your treasure in physical appearance and you're constantly judging yourself based on images that that you perceive as to be the ideal model. Maybe your desire is to have recognition for your achievements, recognition for your talents, recognition for your hard work. Maybe your desire is to always be rolling around in a clean car. Maybe your desire is to to be the mom who has it all together, whose kids show up on time, always neatly put together, perfectly matching. Your house is clean like Martha Stewart's, and you always have a hot home-cooked meal on the table. Maybe your desire is to be the dad who who wakes up early, goes out, exercises, uh, spends time praying, Bible study, Wakes the kids up, helps mom fix them breakfast, prays for them before they go off to school. Once a week, you meet with a men's group, pray together, all before you go to work. And you work a nice paying job so that your wife doesn't have to. And it's flexible enough so that you're able to coach your boys literally. There's all kinds of things that we can desire, that we can covet. All right, okay, fill in the blank here. Ask yourself this, if only I had blank, my life would be so much better right now. If only I had, my life would be so much better right now. What you put in that blank is what you covet. Guard against those things. Because they will keep you from experiencing the life that Jesus intends for you to have. Jesus goes on, he's like, okay, let's let's play this out. Let's play this out. I want to show you that life is more than what you possess. All right, pretend that you get all the money that you're worried about not getting. Pretend that you've got it made. Pretend that life is comfortable. Pretend that life feels predictable and secure. You've reached that level in your life where the mortgage is paid off. No bank can ever come and say, hey, that's mine. You've got a secure job, a steady income. You've got uh, got a wife and kids. You've got friends. You have some money set aside for retirement. You're able to spend vacation. You're eating good. If you reach that level where you think, all right, now I can really start living. Now I can take 
a step back, I can relax, I can actually start enjoying life. If you ever get to that point, Jesus says, you're like this rich man who had a bunch of land, and business was good. The weather had been perfect, and so his land produced a ton this year. And that rich man thought to himself, look in verse 17, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. This man's fields had produced so much that he was like, I don't even have barns big enough to store all that I'm getting ready to harvest. It's kind of like, man, we need some more closet space to fit all the stuff we have. Where are we going to put it all? Verse 18, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Let's get a bigger storage unit. Let's get a bigger house. Verse 19, I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I've made it. I can finally sit back and relax. Verse 20, but God said to him, Fool. Fool. Wait a minute. He doesn't, he doesn't seem like a fool here. He seems like a guy who's actualized the American dream. Right? He seems like he's got some business savvy. He's thinking about, wow, okay, I'm going to build bigger barns so that I can store everything, and then I can really start living life. But God says, fool. This night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So Jesus says, let's play this out. When you've reached that level that you're longing for, when you get that thing that you said, if only I had, my life would be so much better now. When you get the recognition that you long for, when you're told by someone else, oh, I wish I had your figure, I wish I had your job, then what? What does it amount to? Life is short. Life is only but a moment. And every treasure that you gain for yourself is in the end going to be lost. This echoes what Jesus had said earlier in Luke chapter 9, verse 25. You'll remember this. It says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? The answer, nothing. If he gains the whole world but loses his own soul, what does he gain? Nothing. So what are you living for? Are you living for financial security? Are you living for that next vacation, that next car? Are you living for your job? Are you living for your appearance? None of those are certain. And all of them are temporary. Your life is more than what you possess. You see, it's because we live for things that are uncertain and because we treasure things that are temporary that we worry. See, we set ourselves up 
to worry because we are concerned about things that are unknown and uncertain. And Jesus is warning us. He's, he's commanding us to keep a tight rein on our desires. Guard yourselves from coveting because coveting will cause you to worry. But more importantly, coveting will cause you to miss out on what God intends for life to really be about. So how are you guarding against covetousness? That might be something that would be good to discuss in Life Application Group today. To discuss how are we doing at guarding ourselves from coveting. Because when we treasure those things that are uncertain, it's going to cause us to become so focused on them and so worried about them that we forget what Jesus intends for life to be about. But what if? What if? What if what we treasured most could never be taken away from us? What if what we treasured most was something that we would never lose? How would life look different then than it does now? At this point, I I hope that that you're thinking, wow, I, I needed that reminder Right? I haven't said anything new to you guys. I haven't said anything that you guys have not known already. And, and I hope that you are, are saying, I needed that reminder to make sure that, I, that I'm, I'm checking my heart. I'm making sure that I'm keeping the bigger picture in mind. I'm making sure that I'm keeping eternity in mind and that I'm not so focused on these temporal uncertain things. I needed that. But I know a lot of you are like, you know, but I have a lot of worries that aren't rooted in greed. I'm worried about the direction my child's life is heading right now. I'm worried about the choices she's making, the friends he's choosing. Some of you are like, I'm worried about my marriage. I'm worried about my dad's health. You see, some worry is not rooted in greed. It's just rooted in deep concern. See, that rich man who who thought he had no worries, who thought he had reached that level where he could sit back and relax and enjoy life, he actually should have been a little worried. He actually should have worried about where he was going to spend eternity. You might be worried over the health of the church. You might be worried over the spiritual condition of a friend. But as many reasons as you have to worry, Jesus tells you you have more reasons not to worry. You have more reasons not to worry. So let's look at those reasons. Look with me at Luke 22, sorry, Luke 12, verse 22 through 34. 
And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Of which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as add an hour to your life, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right, so quite different from the two men we've already looked at in this passage. Jesus' disciples were not tempted to worry about what they could gain about riches and wealth. They were tempted to worry about survival. What am I going to eat tomorrow? When this, when this cloak wears out, what else am I going to wear? Tomorrow's basic needs were what tempted to consume their minds, what tempted for them to fixate their focus on. And so the first reason Jesus tells his disciples not to worry it's just a repetition of what he's told the crowd. He says, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Think about that. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. But wait a minute. Don't we need food for life? Don't we need nutrition? Don't we need covering and protection? We do. Yet, if we are to believe Jesus who created us, he says life is something more than even those basic needs. The possessions you have or don't have are not what ultimately matters. The personality you have or do not have is not what ultimately matters. The popularity you have or do not have is not what ultimately matters. What ultimately, ultimately matters is what you believe about Jesus. This life is about preparing yourself and others for the kingdom of God, for living under Jesus' authority. When we do that, when we get that right, then everything else will fall into play. So, reason number one not to worry, there is something much more important going on in your life than the stuff you worry about. There's something bigger going on in your life than the stuff that you worry about. Even if you're worried about food for tomorrow. Reason number two that Jesus gives us, he says, look at the birds. 
Look at the birds. Verse 24, Jesus says, Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? In this chapter, before this passage, Jesus already told us how much birds are worth. In verse 6 of Luke 12, he says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. And he says, Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than sparrows. And then here he's saying, you're of more value than ravens. Right? Ravens, they're, they're in the same family as crows. Right? They are omnivores, <laughs> meaning that they, they'll eat anything. Crows, ravens, they eat roadkill. They eat trash. They eat from your garden that you've worked so hard to plant and grow. They don't work for their food. They scavenge for it. They don't have barns to store up their food, pantries and refrigerators to store their food. They just fly around until they see something that looks tasty. That's how God provides for them. And if we are worth more than sparrows, we are definitely worth more than trashy crows and ravens. So the second reason Jesus gives us not to worry is he says, look at the birds. God provides for them, and he cares much more you. Let's keep going. Reason number three is a logical reason. Verse 25 and 26, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? What does worrying accomplish? Nothing. You're not accomplishing anything by worrying. The only thing you might get from worrying is an ulcer, maybe a migraine, possibly a heart attack. That's real helpful, right? Worrying accomplishes nothing. What's going to happen tomorrow is not going to depend on you worrying about it or not. So the third reason not to worry is that worry brings you no benefit. All right, reason number four. Remember, Jesus, he, he's outside. Okay, so, so he's pointing to the birds. And here in reason number four, he, he says, look at the flowers. Verse 27, 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? It's most likely that Jesus is not referring to, you know, beautiful Easter lilies that, that grow in a garden or a greenhouse that you buy at the store. It's, it's more likely that he's talking about a weed flower, right? Those little flowers that grow up in your driveway, those little flowers that are, that are unwanted, but yet they have a splash of color to them that, that really does dazzle. It really is pretty. That's why, that's why little kids pick them up, those weeds, and, and bring them to mommy and say, look, mommy, I brought you flowers because there really is something pretty about them. Jesus says they're, they're actually more dazzling 
than the richest king in the Old Testament, Solomon. And then here's the promise. If God clothes those weeds, which are here today, rounded up and gone tomorrow, he's going to give you a spectacular glory. He's not just going to cover your basics. God is going to give you a spectacular glory. What is that glory? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about the spectacular glory that God will clothe his children with. You see, when we die, our souls are detached from our body. And when Jesus returns, as we believe that he is going to return, our bodies will literally, our physical bodies will be resurrected as Jesus' physical, literal body was resurrected. And some bodies will be resurrected for judgment. Others will be resurrected to spend eternity with God. But not only are our physical bodies raised, those who place their trust in Jesus Christ, our bodies will be transformed. Okay, th- th- this is the Christian hope. This is the reason, Paul says, why we hold on to our beliefes. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42-44, Paul writes, What is sown, what is buried, our bodies, is perishable. But what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Those of you who have been by the bedside of someone who's dying from disease or illness, you know that at the end, our bodies are weak. But he says it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body. And then in verse 49, he tells us about this glory that our resurrected bodies will have. He says, just as we have borne while on this earth the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Who is that? That's Jesus. So here Jesus is saying, look at the flowers in the field. Do you see how they don't work, they don't spin, they don't toil, but yet there is beauty in there. There is something about them that dazzles. Know that you who place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be clothed with greater glory, that glory that only belongs to Jesus Christ. So how foolish we are to worry about our clothes. God promises us that he's going to clothe us with the righteousness of Jesus. We will shine with the very glory that Jesus has. So number four, don't worry because God will give those who trust in Jesus the very righteousness and splendor of Jesus. Reason number five, why you have better reason not to worry is that God knows what you need. Verses 29 through 31. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. 
See, the whole world is seeking after what they can gain, seeking after what they can get. Jesus says, you're free to not be driven by money or possessions or success or comfort because you have a heavenly Father who knows what you need and he promises to give you what you need. So instead of seeking what the world seeks, seek God's kingdom. Seek to advance God's kingdom. That God would receive the recognition for how glorious he is. Well, let's look at the last reason not to worry. The last reason not to worry, reason number six is found in verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus is no longer using the language of God will provide. God knows what you need. You matter to God. Instead of using the language of God, he uses the language of Father. He says, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In Psalm 2, we learn that God's kingdom is his gift to his son. Okay? Jesus inherits God's kingdom. Jesus inherits rule over all the earth. It is Jesus' inheritance that we're talking about here. That Jesus says, God is going to give to you also. So think back. I can't help but imagine that at this point, Jesus glances his eye back at that man who was so worried about not getting his inheritance money who was so fixated, so worried about not getting his inheritance. I imagine that Jesus has now glanced his eyes and looked back at him and said, Hey guys, the reason I'm here is because I'm your brother. And I am going to give you what God has given to me. I'm going to give to you what only belongs and only I rightfully deserve. That is what this gospel message is all about. It's that Jesus Christ came to this earth, took on our flesh, took on our sins and our wrongs so that he bore the wrath that we were deserving. And he gave to us the credit for his obedience. The perfect life that we could not live, and Jesus did live, we get the credit for Jesus' perfect life. And we get the inheritance that only Jesus deserves. We get eternity with God. Jesus says, I'm your brother, and I'm giving you my inheritance. Therefore, you don't need to worry about these little things that are going on in your life. You don't need to worry. 
They're all temporal. And what I'm here to give you lasts forever. Don't miss this. This is so amazing. What is the basis for God giving you the kingdom? What does it say there in verse 32 that is God's basis for giving you the kingdom? Is it, is it your works? Is it your performance? Is it your morality? Is it your religion? No, he says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's God's grace. It's his gift to you. It's his pleasure. He is happy to give you eternal life. Will you receive it? Or will you allow your temporary worries to so focus you and fixate your mind and blind you to this eternal reality that God wants to give you? Are you going to let temporal things keep you from the only thing that God has to give you, the only thing that you're sure of, the only thing that will never be taken away from you? Jesus closes with a commission. Verse 33 to 34, he says, Sell. All right, now, you understand this, this inheritance you're getting? Now go sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right. Now that you understand what God has given to you, what God is giving to you, Go and live for that kingdom. It's yours. Live for it. Invest in it. You're not going to be disappointed. Here's Jesus' logic. Because you have been given, because you are being given, because you will be given a sure, certain, wonderful thing, no iffy, no maybe, maybe not, then give. Give, because there's really nothing to worry about. I have done for you what you could not do for yourselves. I have given to you what you could not earn. Giving is the alternative to worry. When our aim is, I gotta get, I gotta get, 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 we tend to worry. But when our aim is, is give because we've already been given to, we find contentment. We find rest. Have you ever invested your money in something and then worried if you were going to get your money back? Or have you ever purchased something that, that cost you quite a bit of money and then you become so worried about protecting its new, nice, pristine condition? The deal that Jesus is offering us here really doesn't compare to anything else. Jesus is telling us to use our temporary resources, our temporary money, our temporary time to invest into an eternal kingdom. And then God's going to give you that kingdom. God is going to give you the kingdom. What we receive is incalculably more than what we could ever give. We don't give to get because it's already ours. 
So invest in God's kingdom. Invest your life in the advancement of God's kingdom. Invest your life in the church. And God's word promises you that your heart will follow your money. So this ties back into Jesus' warning, his command to take guard against all covetousness. The best way to guard against covetousness is to give. Because where you give, your heart, your desires will follow. Give to God. Give to the church. Give to ministries that advance His kingdom. And watch how your heart, your mind will start becoming more aware of what God is doing around us. So let's ask the question again. What would life look like if we treasured most what we could never lose? What would your life look like? How would it look different if you treasured most what you could never lose? The only thing in life that is certain. For one, it would be marked by giving. So in the final analysis, Jesus is saying, be rich toward God and you'll have plenty of reasons not to worry. Let's pray. Father, you have been so lavishly rich towards us. You have given us so much. Our minds can't even comprehend it. Our, Our hearts have trouble accepting it all, just, just how, how much you have given us. Father, I pray that you would show us the great gift we have in the gospel, the great gift of yourself that you have given us. Help us to, to realize that and understand it and own it so that we may live a life that, that is free from the worry and the cares and the concerns of this world, which are all temporary and uncertain. Help us to live for the only thing that is certain, to live for your coming kingdom. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, at this time, we're moving to our time of response, and so I invite you to stand. As our praise team leads us in this song, sing out to God, reflect on on what you've heard, reflect on this message on God's word. Spend this time praying to God, committing to him that you're going to live for his kingdom rather than your own. If you'd like to be part of this church and join the fellowship of this church, I invite you to come forward. Let us know that. If you, if you want to be baptized, if you want to learn more about what it means to follow Jesus, I invite you to come forward. You can talk to me. I'll be on the front row. Just, just grab me. Love to talk with you. Love to pray with you. But you respond as the Spirit leads. Amen. All right, go ahead and be seated. And Kenny, if you want to come, you're already up here. You're sneaking up behind me now. All right. Um, I'll make it real quick. Um, next week, I encourage you to come back. It's going to be an exciting week. We're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to be spending a lot of time um, singing some praises, songs, and participating in the Lord's Supper. And so it'll be a great time of fellowship together, a great time of reflecting on the gospel and praising God together. There is one announcement, um, Pat. Uh, there is a need in the CEC. Um, I'm not going to go into detail of those needs. Many of you know more about it than I do. 
but there is a financial need, and so there's going to be ushers at the doors when you leave. And if you would like to contribute, um, just, just give a little monetary gift for this need. Uh, that's your opportunity to do that. And if you have questions about it, then see Pat. Pat, will you raise your hand? And Pat will fill you in with more details. But other than that, Kenny, lead us in our announcements. Okay, uh, our Deacon of the Week is Scott Huffman. He's sitting in the back back there. Uh, his numbers are listed, so if you have a need this week, please uh, contact Scott. Um, doing announcements is a little bit different for me this morning, uh, especially in light of uh, what Pastor Brian uh, spoke about. How do the announcements that I give to you today impact the bigger picture? Uh, and that's the ministry of our church. So uh, the first thing that we have is uh, I want to call your attention to the Kids Praise, which will be uh, again on Wednesday nights. Uh, from 6.30 to 7.30. If you would like for your child to be a part of our Christmas play, uh, please make sure that they uh, come on Wednesday night. It starts this, uh, this Wednesday. Uh, also, uh, if you have any interest or experience uh, playing handbells, uh, that would be a great time uh, to come as well. So again, impacting the bigger picture of those who will come, uh, especially the night of the Christmas play. Also, an opportunity for our men uh, next week. Uh, our ladies need some help uh, getting ready for the consignment sale, so go ahead and plug in your uh, battery for your drill and put it in your truck and bring that uh, next week. Uh, there's nothing greater than working beside of, of Jimmy Hips and Robert Eckert as we construct for the 18,000th time uh, our racks that will go up at the consignment sale. Also, uh, Oktoberfest on October 12th through the 14th, uh, we still need some volunteers. I know I saw some sign-in uh, sheets, sign-up sheets uh, back there on the tables. If you would, uh, we need lots of workers uh, for that. Um, so see Ned or Cindy or sign up on the back table. Um, also, uh, we need to uh, get ready for Judgment House and talk about uh, impacting the bigger picture. Uh, Miss Cindy uh, Beck has told us uh, that the uh, signs uh, for you to put up in your yard uh, around your neighborhood uh, those are located at the welcome desk. Uh, not only do we have the ones that you push into the ground, we also have uh, some hand signs that you can put up at work. Uh, so please pick up a few of those. Also, uh, if you know where those little metal thingamajiggers are that you have to put the signs on, um, I don't know. I broke mine last year, Cindy, so sorry. That one's not coming back. Um, if you know where some of those are, if you have one laying around, uh, we're still in need of those. So if you will, uh, bring those in. But please be in prayer uh, for Judgment House uh, and looking for your opportunity to serve there. Uh, at this time, I'll call Brother Fest forward uh, for an announcement from our leadership team. We, uh, I came up today just to let you know that it, the invitation is always open. If you've got problems, you've got questions, uh, we'd love to hear from you. I'd also like for you to think about if you've got a problem, uh, think about a solution and, and try to help us with the answers. Uh, we hope things are going well for you. Uh, if you're really and truly concerned about the direction the church is headed, uh, I've got a suggestion for you. If you look on the very back of the bulletin at the bottom of the page, you'll see two lists of names, the pastor search team and the leadership team. So if you're truly concerned, seeks God's face to where he wants these people to be. Pray for us. Help us to see what God sees for us. And look around and just think about what God sees in us. Because see, that's something we very seldom think about. God chose us. We didn't choose him. He picked us out. 
So I thank you for all that you're doing. Look forward to all we're going to do. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're dismissed to lag groups.